Thank you, Lord, for our time together so far and now as we open the Scriptures and continue to learn and hear from you about what it is to follow Jesus. Lord, I just think how appropriate that song is that I have decided to follow Jesus. And Lord, we need to be really clear about that. And, and over the last six or so weeks, you've, you've been making it more and more clear what it means to follow you. And that's our desire again, Lord. So, as only you can do, speak truth through your word, through the spirit of truth. Lord, our desire is not just to be hearers, but doers, Lord, and to uh, follow you. To follow you in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Open up to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We have been looking at what the Bible teaches about following Jesus. And if you see in your notes there, there are six bullets that, that I've highlighted. And just so that we can always kind of remember that, that we're building layer upon layer, precept upon precept, our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. Right? You see it's an all-in decision. Jesus expects His followers to obey His teaching, what He calls His yoke of Scripture. Following Jesus requires us to submit to His will over our traditions, opinions, put our faith in Him. Jesus' followers are to care but not compare themselves to one another. Jesus' followers are expected to use their spiritual gifts in their unique shape. Last week, we saw that following Jesus is rooted in loving Him much because we have been much forgiven. If you were here, you remember that story from Luke of the woman who extravagantly and with, with just this overwhelming sense of love for Jesus anointed His feet and just demonstrated this, this overwhelming sense of gratitude in the midst of a, of a kind of hostile environment. And why did she do that? Because she realized that she was loved much. Well, she loved much because she, she realized she'd been forgiven much. And out of that forgiveness, she loved much, right? And, and so last week we said, when was the last time, we asked the question, when was the last time you were overwhelmed by God's grace for you, personally? When was the last time you pondered that, that you have been forgiven much. Not in the sense of quantity, right? Because if we want to quantify it, suddenly we, we, we can slide into a bit of self-righteousness because I'm not as bad as. But when we talked about for being forgiven much last week, we said, when was the last time that you personally were so, you sat long enough to just allow the Spirit to bring the truth, the profound truth of God's grace that you're forgiven much in the sense that your sins, however you want to quantify that, whatever number you want to put on that, whatever value, you know, that your sins still needed that. See, that's real 
Because if you believe that Jesus Christ actually was crucified and died, then it gets real, real quick as far as what it means to you. Right? And, and, and suddenly, if you allow that, that truth of His grace to, to overwhelm you, suddenly you might find yourself manifesting this incredible love for Him and not really caring what anyone thinks. Because you remember this story of, of the Pharisee who invited Jesus for dinner and in that culture other people were allowed to come in and, and watch and listen. And then this woman of ill repute with a reputation came in and, and did what she did out of love for Jesus. And again, in an environment that was pretty hostile, you know, talk about peer pressure, she knew she didn't belong there. And yet, because she realized she had been forgiven much, you know what? She didn't care. She really didn't care what anyone in that room thought. It was simply about her expressing her love for Jesus. And I bet there's many of us, even in worship, maybe sometimes we become so self-conscious that we, before worship's over, we're tied up in knots. And here we are supposed to be worshiping God and worship's supposed to be responding to God. And this, this team right here isn't supposed to be performing. They're supposed to be playing as unto God. And yet, how crazy is it in the church that that church on this side of the microphone and on that side of the microphone becomes about us? We're so afraid of what people are going to think about me. And if I sing okay... If I don't mess up a chord, if I, if I, if I, and if I put my hands up, what are they going to think about me? Isn't that nuts? Isn't that one of the most bizarre things to be in the house of God, to worship God, and to be consumed with me? Right? And then you take that to times of prayer. Anyone? Let's pray together. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, there goes Scott went. Oh, now Bill went. Oh, gosh, here we go. And I don't pray near as well as them. Oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. I know I'm supposed to be talking to you right now, but all I can think about is how bad my prayer is going to sound. Is that following Jesus? Is that what He means? Hey, come follow me. What, what happened? Where did following Jesus become... About me. Right? And, and that's why it's so important for us to look at these, this, this, these quote-unquote simple basic truths the last six years. Because this is, this is actually pretty challenging teaching for the church. 
who have learned to do church. Maybe learned to do church so well that they forgot to follow Jesus. That's why I love when you get a new believer who doesn't know anything about church. And they just come in. And they, the scriptures are new. The songs are new. They don't know that they're not supposed to this and they're not supposed to that. And when they pray, they just pray and they stutter and they stammer. But they don't care because they don't know they're supposed to care. No one taught them to care yet about who, how good their prayer is. And I just love that joy of the simplicity of following Jesus because they understand they are forgiven. Their names are written in heaven. All right, let's just go do this. It's Jesus, right? What, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? You're scared about what they're going to think about your singing, Bill. I, I, we get so tied up in knots. We get so tied up in knots. And that's why we're spending so much time on this. Because my heart for, for you, my heart for me, my, my heart for us as a church is to come back to the simple joy of following Jesus. Following Jesus. And last Sunday it was, we, we love Him much because we are forgiven much. It's kind of that simple. That's, that, that's why we do communion every Sunday. It's not because we have to. It's because it is a tangible reminder. And it's a discipline. The discipline in doing communion, this is a challenge, I'll be honest with you. The discipline in doing communion every Sunday together is that it becomes rote and ritual. I know that. The discipline is when we do communion is that you literally choose to make that a personal moment. To make that a personal moment. Because following Jesus is personal. It is so personal. And that's, that's what we've been hearing. That's what we've been learning. And today in John 7, we're going to continue that. And, and, and it, today it's going to be kind of challenging because... I remember I've shared with you a story of, of a young man when I first started in ministry 24 years ago or so in San Diego. I shared with you a story. Uh, I was working in youth ministry, uh, junior high guy, eighth, ninth grader. Uh, I knew his family, and they asked me to spend some time with this guy, and he was heavily involved in gangs. And uh, so we would meet every week take him to church, and we'd meet during the week, and we'd talk, go out to eat, just hang out, get to know each other. We had a good relationship. And then uh, he kind of went his way. I went my way years down the road. Um, I'd heard he went to prison. And then uh, I was at a church in Oceanside. I heard he was now out of prison, laying tile in a new development, tracked him down. And uh, I asked him a question. I said, hey, you remember all those times and you were in junior high and you were doing the gang-banging thing and getting shot at and all this kind of stuff. And we were meeting. Goes, yeah, 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 I remember all that. Go, did that make a difference, man? Did that make a difference? And, 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 and what he said resonated with me, has still resonated. It will resonate today as we look. He said, well, you were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. You were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. Right? 
And, and that relationship uh, was very challenging in many ways, especially pastorally, because as a pastor, you're not out to ruin anyone's life. You, we believe Scripture is God's Word. We believe that fundamentally the best thing for anyone in the entire universe is to have a loving relationship with Jesus. That's what we believe. That's why we do what we do. That's our calling. And to invest weeks and months and go over and talk, 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 and da-da-da, and have him go, yeah, 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 he gets it. He understood it intellectually. He wasn't a dummy. He understood Scripture. We talked about it. He understood what he was doing was wrong. He understood all that kind of stuff. And then to hear him say, well, I was going to do what I was going to do, I appreciated his honesty. Because the truth is, that same statement applies to us today. You're here, and this is probably a good influence, otherwise why would you be here unless you were forced to come? But I know, after 25 years of ministry, I know, when the bell rings and you walk out that door, you're going to do what you're going to do. Not all bad. Not all bad. It's, it's, it's not a negative thing. It's just reality. It's just truth. It's just the way. That, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, let's just be real. Let's stop playing church. If we're talking about following Jesus, then let's stop playing church. And we all know here that when you leave here, you're going to do and I'm going to do what we want to do. Fundamentally, the question is, why do you do what you do? What's the motive? What's driving you? Right? Who are you living for? All these fundamental questions that we've asked through the years, right? And, and if we're going to follow Jesus, and if you're going to do what you're going to do, here's the question. On what basis are you making your decisions? What's the authority? Who's the authority? Right? Remember when we talked about Jesus being rabbi, and, and rabbis have a yoke of scripture? One of the reasons that we may struggle in our following of Jesus is that we haven't settled the issue that his teaching is from God. Now, we live in a very diverse uh, religious environment in this valley. Jesus is still accepted here in certain boxes. Many people, he's a good philosopher. He's a moral teacher, right? Now, the different, you know, the lines will be quickly drawn if you ask if he's God, if he rose from the dead and all of that. But in general, Jesus is still a good moral teacher, philosopher, religious leader, right? I mean, okay, still. But is that all he is in your life? Is that what his teachings are, just... just one of many philosophies out there? One of many good moral things? Or is Jesus teaching from God and therefore authoritative? Therefore authoritative. And if you're, if you're maybe going, man, what's up with my, my following Jesus? What's up with my relationship with Jesus? I've been in church for so long and I feel like I'm stagnant. I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like... You know, he talked about transformation for a year, and I don't know if I've ever seen any in a year. It might have to do 
that you haven't really ever settled the issue of Jesus' teaching being authoritative. Being from God. Being from God, right? And so in John 7, Jesus has gone up to the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7, verse 14 John 7:14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Right? What they're saying, you remember a few weeks back we talked about the educational system. And so these religious leaders are like, Man, who's this guy... He didn't come through any of the approved schools. They're trying to figure out how Jesus is speaking with such knowledge and authority because all the rabbis and all the leaders know who went through the approved school. He's like, where did he get his accreditation? What's his credential? Did he do this online? He's one of them onliners. Because they don't get how he's, how he's teaching with such knowledge and authority. That's what they're asking. He didn't, you know, they, they were all raised. We saw that in elementary school, primary school. They all knew the, the core of the scriptures. But then to become a rabbi, you had to go from like 15 to 30, age 15 to 30, in a rabbi school, rabbinic school. So they're scratching their heads. Right? Verse 16. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from Him who sent me. This is where you would like cue music in a video. Because everything would come to a screeching halt. Because the other rabbis taught authoritatively from what other rabbis said. They would share the scriptures like we do here and they would quote other rabbis as their authority. Jesus is saying, hey, uh, I know you're kind of wondering if I did the online thing. But by the way, what I'm teaching you is straight from God. Pin drop. Boop. Right? That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Okay? Verse 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Verse 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. How do you know Jesus' teaching? If we're going to be followers of Jesus. How do you know His teaching is authoritative for your life? How do you know when you're at that crossroads of temptation? How do you know when you're at that crossroads of obedience or disobedience that you're to choose Jesus' teaching over what you want or the world wants. How do you know that His teaching is supreme? He just told you right here. 
if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Here's the core. If you want to know that Jesus' teaching is from God, you need to begin with your willingness to obey. It's not about more learning. It's not about another Wednesday night Bible study, all due respect to Bill. It's not about more intellectualizing and more studying and another conference and another DVD series. It's none of that, first and foremost. Jesus says, look at verse 17, super important. If anyone, what? Chooses. Everyone say chooses. Right? In another version, it's resolves. There's another one that says, if anyone wills to will. Right? If you desire, if you want. If anyone's will is to do God's will. So the question this morning, is your will to do God's will as it is revealed completely? Is your will, are you resolved, have you chosen in your heart, purposed in your heart to do God's will as he reveals it completely? If that's true, as you obey, you will know it's from God. If it's not your will, that might be why you're stuck. Right? Look at the quote I put there from G. Campbell Morgan. When men are wholly, completely consecrated to the will of God, and want to do that above everything else, then they find out that Christ's teaching is divine, that it is the teaching of God. John Piper says, the condition of knowing is willing. Right? And it really boils down to obedience. Are you willing, as you sit here, to obey God's revealed will. Sometimes, sometimes, we can hide behind I need to learn more as a mask to rebellion. As a mask to not wanting to yield and submit to God's will. So we're just in this endless loop of learning. Learning, 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 academic, 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 study, study, study. And you know why you're not changing? You know why you're not transforming? You know why all those years of study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, you know why it's not making much difference? Because you don't want it to. All your busyness, all your doing of church is actually masking rebellion and self-centeredness and, and compartments of our life that we don't want to give. So in order to work out that conviction and that unease, we just busy ourselves with good stuff. With good stuff. Do you want 
to do God's will. Because Jesus says, if you want to do God's will, if you're yielded, if you're surrendered, if you're submitted to God's will, what does verse 17 say? You'll know it's from God. You'll know it's from God. I love this quote. G.K. Chesterton says this, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Right? Do you want to do God's will? See, when people used to come to me as, as a young pastor for counseling, as a youth pastor especially, I would get this. Hello, can we make an appointment? Sure. What's going on? Well, you know, i got a lot of conflict in the house and we'd love to come and talk with you, right? What that's code for from a parent is, can you fix my kid? 99.9% of the time. Can, you, can we come in? Because if you just fix little Johnny, the house will be at peace, right? But even in adult counseling, I've had, I've had this sort of, can, you, can we come to you so you can fix this, right? And, and I have been, it's been a learning curve for me. Because with the best of heart and zeal and enthusiasm, we jump into it. We meet week after week after week after week. We go verse after verse after verse. We talk, we talk, we talk, we talk. And nothing changes. Zero. And I've, it, it's, it's just, you know why? Why didn't it change? They didn't want to change. They didn't want to do God's will. Verse 17. Because they didn't want to do God's will, the Scriptures weren't authoritative to them, so when they left to go do whatever they were going to do, it wasn't based on Scripture. So fundamentally, they came to biblical counseling with a heart unwilling to do what the Bible said. This might even help you and me with our heartache for those we deeply care about that have walked away from Jesus. The truth is, and it may sound cold, but it's truth. They just don't want to do what God's way is. They just don't want to do God's will. And until they want to do God's will, according to verse 17, they're not going to see it as Scripture, as God's truth and authoritative doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't care about them. But you have to realize this. You're not going to out-debate them. You're not going to persuade them. You're not going to argue them into the corner to where they go, okay, okay, uncle, I give. Because most of the time they do that is just to get you off their back. It doesn't mean you don't have discussions with them. But fundamentally, you have to understand, until they want to do God's will, it affects their view of Scripture. It affects their willingness to submit, their willingness to obey, their willingness to yield. Is that heartbreaking? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I deal with that all the time. I can only imagine how Jesus felt. This is Jesus. He walks around, not, he wants the good shepherd, and people are bailing on him, and they kill him. Because they don't want to do God's will. They don't want it. Yeah, it's, it's tough. When you care and you love, and you, and you just go, can't they get it? Can't they? Yeah, it's an issue of the will. They don't want it. And Jesus says, if you choose, if you are willing to will God's will, you'll understand it. You'll see it's from God. But until then, there's nothing at the human level you and I can do. It doesn't mean we don't pray for them. It doesn't mean we don't still care and have rapport and relate. None of that. I'm not saying that. But we cannot see. Because I remember in, in, in years past, I would get so consumed with wanting to help someone. Take this the right way. I would, I would get so consumed with wanting to help someone. Now, come on. <laughs> come to Jesus, Bill. It's good for you. Be, be, because my desire for him to know Jesus and, and what was clearly rebellion, but he didn't see it as rebellion. He just... I'm going to do what I'm going to do. If I'm not careful, my heart for him turns into anger and angst. And now I'm ticked at him. And, and understanding this biblical truth that he just doesn't want it. And I can't force feed it to him. I can live by example. I can demonstrate example, but I can't force feed him. helps me to keep a soft heart to him, a tender heart. Because I was once him. Thank you. Because I had friends share the gospel with me. And I was real good at making excuses. But if I was, was going to be blunt with my friends in college who were sharing the gospel with me, I should have just said this. I don't want it. I just made up good excuses. I didn't want to go to Bible study. I didn't want, to, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want Jesus. But I made up all these lame excuses. When really what I should have, I should have just been honest. Said, I don't want that. I'm fine. In fact, my roommate in college, we were going to go to law school together, and I forget, I had become a believer, and we had this discussion, and he straight up said to me, I don't need God. Straight up said to me, I don't need God. Successful guy. Just, and I knew what he meant. He didn't want it. He didn't need it. He didn't want it. Scripture was a joke. His will was not to do God's will. His will was to live for himself. If we're going to follow Jesus, you got to ask, do you want to do His will? Because verse 17 is pretty clear. Right? If you resolve, if you choose to do God's will, you'll know if it's of God or not. You'll know if it's of God or not. The problem isn't with the Scripture. The problem is with our heart. There's nothing wrong with Scripture. It has to do with us. But we project everything onto there. In fact, everyone who's throwing stones at Scripture for the last hundred years, it's really just rebellion against God and our hard-heartedness. We're trying to rationalize, justify, excuse, rebellion and hard-heartedness against God. So we throw, thrown, we throw stones at Scripture when the real issue is that we just don't want it. 
We just don't want it. Right? Turn to John 5. John 5, verse 39. Jesus says this. He's speaking to the, again, to the Jews. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. What are they doing? These Jewish leaders, they're studying the Scripture. They're going to Bible studies. They're, 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 way, they're studying way beyond you and me. That's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. It's amazing because in John 6, right? Look in John 6, turn, uh, go to verse 28. John 6, 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Do you want to do God's will? Then believe on Jesus. That's the starting point. That's the work. But that was the sticking point for the Jewish leaders. They didn't want that. They didn't want that. They wanted to stay where they were, academic, knowledge, tradition. They didn't want to come to Jesus personally. They didn't want it. So the question this morning for us, in our desire to follow Jesus, do you want to do God's will? Is your will to do God's will? Completely, openly, yielded at the core of your being. If you do, then in your obedience and in your walking, you'll discover that it is what it says it is. God's truth. If you don't, Scripture can kind of become... Just another book at the Barnes and Noble Self-Help Center. And I've had plenty of that over the years where people would come and, 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 and take this the right way. They would come and want a verse to help them. Now, in their heart, they weren't surrendered and yielded to all of God's will for their life, but they just wanted the pastor to give them a specific verse to help them. See the difference? 
If you're not yielded and you're not surrendered to doing the complete will of God, the Bible just becomes a self-help manual and you start searching for little nuggets in a self-help me-centered way. We call them band-aids. It's called band-aid theology. Something's going wrong. Oh, I need a verse. need a band-aid. Something else is going wrong. I need a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid. Versus, Lord, my will is to do your will. Changes your whole view of Scripture. Changes the nature of your relationship with Jesus. Makes it real and makes it personal. So this morning, Is your will to do God's will? And that can help in so many different ways, so many applications. It might even be that you've made progress as a believer and you're stuck in an area and deep down, you don't want to ask the pastor, you don't want to ask someone else for quote-unquote advice because why? You already know the answer. Anybody here, and I put my hand over here, anyone here ever be struggling with something and you know the answer? So you don't want to ask anyone for their advice, input, right? You want to plead ignorance? Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss because I know if I go ask Scott, Scott's going to give me the biblical truth. I'm like, oh, Scott, why did you have to say that? Oh, Really? But I already knew. But I already knew. And the problem was, in this area of my life, I wasn't wanting to do God's will. So there's an issue of it at salvation. Coming to Jesus. Do you want to do God's will? The Bible says, come to Jesus. Believe on the one he sent. That's the starting point for salvation. In your sanctification, is there an area in your life where, honestly, if you sat here today, you'd be like, nope. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That might help you understand why you are where you are. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That is the gift of free will that God has given us. And here's the God-honoring thing. When you do what you're going to do, and what you choose to do is an obedience to God's Word, who gets the glory? God gets the glory because you did it of your own free will. Amen? How do you and I go around glorifying God? By choosing His will. By choosing His will. That's how He gets the glory through His people. When we freely, of our own volition and choice, choose His will over our flesh. He gets the glory. Amen? Is that easy? Downright impossible, really. But for who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Is your will to do God's will? Or here's, here's, here's a prayer. Are you, are you willing to pray, Lord, I am willing to be made willing. If you recognize an area of rebellion, an area of hard-heartedness, uh, an area of self-centeredness in your life this morning, we all have them, 
Are you willing to be made willing? Because there's a wonderful verse, and we'll close with this. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Verse 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's verse 13. For it is God who works in you to what? To will and to act according to His good purpose. It's God who works in you to want to do His will and then to actually do His will. So the question is, are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to say, Lord, I have been struggling. Lord, I have been rebelling. Lord, I have kept this area to myself. But here it is, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I yield it and I am willing to be made willing. Can you pray that? That can be the starting point. Just to ask God supernaturally to change your will. To his. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Here's, here's a case in point. How many of you, before you became a believer, coming to this thing we call church on Sunday? Never. Uh-uh. No, right? A few of, you, few of you are honest, right? Why are you here, Tina? Do you want to be here? Okay, but you just raised your hand and said that before you're a believer, this, you would never come here. What changed? Your heart. Who changed it? God. See, don't minimize the fact. The fact that you, if you came here because you wanted to, is a supernatural act of God. (laughs) Changing your will to want to come here at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Because there's about 10,000 people sleeping in this valley right now. And even more in Ventura. The fact that you got up and you wanted to be here was a supernatural act of God who changed your will. Amen? Come on now. If you want evidence that God is still alive in your life, you're here. You're here because you wanted to be. I want to give myself the credit for that, but there's March Madness on right now. Just keeping it real, man. I mean... The fact that I want to be here instead of watching TV, that's a miracle of God. God will change your will if you will submit and say, Lord, I am willing to be made willing, according to Philippians 2.13. Change my will to be in accord with you and then supernaturally empower me to do it. That's following Jesus. That's diatheke. That's, that's surrendering. 
That's His dust. Me being so close to Him that His dust does cover me. And I go where He goes without question. And I trust Him implicitly. That's all. That's, this is following Jesus. Your will be done. Not my will. Your will be done. Is that your heart this morning? Not my will, but your will be done. If that is, you understand it. According to John 7:17, 7, you'll get it. It'll click what this is. If it's not, this is kind of a self-help manual that you hunt for things to help you in your time of need, but you're still the boss. Because you're still living according to your will and you pull from this and you pull from this and you need a verse here, but I'm still living according to my will. Do you see the difference? That's the core for many of us. Is an issue of the will. And it's got to be a supernatural work of God. And here's the thing. It begins there. The cross is about Jesus. Following Jesus is about what He did for us out of grace. Following Jesus is not about what I'm going to get from Him and how it's going to benefit me. That's when it gets flipped. And that's when all of a sudden it becomes about my will. If we understand the cross, we understand 1 Corinthians, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Then you're yielded. Then you're surrendered. It goes back to the cross. And that's why we do communion every Sunday. Not because we have to. Because we want to. And why do we want to? Because at the core, what Jesus did at Calvary reminds us all that we are forgiven much. And we will simply leave here and love Him much. And you know what the great thing is in John fourteen twenty one, He says, hey, he who obeys my commands is him who loves me. And here's the crazy thing. And then verse 21, John fourteen twenty one says, and I will reveal myself to him. So here's the crazy thing. We love Him because He first loves us. We live here and we, we leave here and obey out of love. And John fourteen twenty one says He continually reveals more of Himself to us through our obedience. You want to keep growing in your knowledge and your intimacy with Jesus? Just walk in obedience. And He will reveal more and more of Himself to you. But it begins with your hope. Are you willing to be made well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's very clear in John seven seventeen. How are we supposed to know, Jesus, if what you're teaching is from God or just another man coming through? And in John seven seventeen, you say, if anyone chooses, if anyone wills, if anyone resolves to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. personal and it hits to the very 
heart of who we are, Jesus, our will. This ability, this freedom you've given us to choose. And so you ask us this morning, are we willing to be made willing? Are there areas in our life where we're in rebellion, where we're, we're just hard-hearted, we're just doing our own thing, and we're going to do what we're going to do, and Jesus, you're just a good influence. Lord, you know us, and you know each one here, and you know my heart and love for everyone here. So Jesus, this morning, would you speak truth very lovingly, very directly to us in this issue of submitting our will to yours. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, as you said in the garden. And as we prepare for communion, would you use this time to bring us back to the cross, to remind us that we are much forgiven. And out of that much forgiveness, we would love you much. And out of that loving you much, we would simply obey in the power of the Spirit. You say in Philippians 2.13 that it is you who works in us to will and to do. So Father, if there's an area in my life where I'm struggling with my will versus yours, would you change my will to match yours? I confess it, I admit it, I repent, and I now, the power of the Spirit, yield this area to your will. In my own flesh, I'm not going to be able to do it, God. You know me. You know my habits. You know my thought patterns. You know everything deeply ingrained in my flesh. But you also say in Philippians 2.13, you're going to give me the power to do it. So I'm going to bank on that truth. So in this time of communion, we come back to an issue of the will. And we go back to Jesus' example in Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we'll distribute the elements and just have a time of prayer and reflection in this area of willing, choosing God's will. Amen. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going to sing a song to close. Here's a word of encouragement. If you are choosing God's will, that manifests itself in obedience. The power of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, it's real and it's tangible. It's not just a a good intention, and it's not just a dire... It it manifests itself in in practical obedience. And the step of faith, right? Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God, right? Here's, here's, Here's how we grow. Here's our following of Jesus. We obey His will even if we don't know the consequences.
yielding and surrendering to his will is not based on consequences. It's based on his revealed will. Amen? That's what we do. And a wonderful example. Remember when Peter was in the boat and he saw Jesus, right? And what did Peter say? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And what did Jesus say? Come. Come. What didn't Jesus say? Come, and you're not going to fall, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, and you're going to make it to me. And, and Did Jesus just say any of that? No. He told Peter zero about the consequences of him coming. He just said, come. Right? So Peter asked Jesus to reveal his will. Jesus revealed his will by saying, come. Ball back in Peter's court. Based on revealed will, what was Peter supposed to do? Get out the boat. And when he obeyed, what did he discover? He could walk on water. Everyone focuses on him stumbling. But that's because he took his eyes off Jesus. When he got out of the water, he discovered something greater about Jesus. And he grew in his relationship with Jesus because he obeyed on the front end the revealed will. Amen? The step of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Here's the step of faith for you and for me. We obey because we know that that's all we're supposed to do. And we trust God to work out the consequences. Amen? That's the step of faith. We walk according to what is revealed in His will and we, by faith, just keep moving one step at a time and we trust Him with where we end up. Can we do that? One step at a time, one day at a time. And here's the crazy thing. You don't even have to do it alone. You've got people around you to help you do that too. So turn to that person next to you and say, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Amen? Let's stand together and let's sing this song.